Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the God who heals us. Lord, you are our healer, Lord, and we give you all the credit. Thank you that you do use doctors and nurses and, and medication. And so we're so thankful, Lord, that uh, you've, uh, you're healing right now, my wife. Uh, I thank you that as she was on her hospital bed, she was crying out for healing uh, for the suffering families in India that have COVID right now, God. And so we cry out for them today as well. Lord Jesus, would you come and have mercy? Would you come and open their hearts to you and, and minister to them? Home to home, we pray in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to share this morning a little bit uh, on God's heart for the nations. One of the four themes for these 10 days, the gospel going to the nations. Um, in particular, I want to focus on children and youth. Uh, let me read from Matthew 24, 14. You're probably familiar with this verse, but it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. So we know this gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed to every of every people before the return of Jesus. <clears throat> Matthew 9 then says, Jesus says to, you know, he's looking across the crowds and sees that the peoples are like sheep without a shepherd. They're hopeless. They're in despair. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we know that's true even today, that the harvest is right out before us, and it is plentiful. It's ripe. But the laborers are few. We need more workers. We need more gospel proclaimers. But then Jesus says this, you know, what are we going to do about this situation? And he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Laborers into the harvest fields. Um, I'd like to contend this morning that the laborers he wants to send are not just adults, but I think they're also children and young people. Um, but it's going to start with them not just going out to proclaim the gospel. It's going to start, like Jesus said, with them praying. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Uh, Matthew 21, 12 through 16. Let's read this real quick, and then we'll share a little bit. Jesus went into the temple of God into the house of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Verse 15, and when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and here you go, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read 
and he quotes from Psalm 8. Do you hear what these are saying? And he quotes this. He says, out of the mouth of babes, children, and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Perfected praise. So if you go through this just real quickly here, right, he starts out by cleansing the temple so that his house, the father's house, would be a house of purity. And then it goes next. As it becomes a house of purity, then we, we can claim it and call it a house of prayer. That's how he defines his house, a house of prayer. But then if you read next, right, what happens? The blind and the lame come, and we see it now as a house of power, right? He heals the sick. But then next, what does it say? These children, right, are singing, and they're praying, and they're crying out. And we see it now as a house of praise. But not just a house of praise of adults singing and praising, but it's a house of generation. We see these children are the ones that are crying out, crying out there at that place of prayer. And then praising, right? They're praising him, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. So they're worshiping and they're praying. These children, out of these mouths, there is perfected praise. He's ordained praise. So we know that this is going to not just happen back then. It's going to continue to happen, I believe, unto the return of Jesus. That in his house, in the church, amongst the people of God, children are going to be raised up. They're going to be praising. They're going to be praying in his house of prayer. Um, and we know that, that God is going to respond to these children praying. In fact, I would say that the children might be God's end time secret weapon. We know that the promise there in Psalm 8, if you apply these verses, in context, it says that these are not just going to bring him perfected praise and glory, but it also be for this purpose to silence the foe and the avenger. God's going to bring justice, and he's going to use these children in spiritual warfare uh, to see the kingdom of God come forth, right? The Lord said uh, to children, when these children were coming to him, let the little children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom. So he wants the children praying, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But not just praying and worshiping, but also witnessing as laborers hurled forth into the nations, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then the end will come. I want to share a couple of stories with us today that I think might inspire us. So not just the scripture attested to this, but I think we also see this, see this testimony in church history where God uses children and uses youth uh, in the place of prayer and in the place of gospel proclamation. A friend of mine who speaks regularly to children and teenagers likes to tell them, you're not the church of tomorrow, you are the church of today. Right? Not just the next generation, or the coming generation, but the now generation. Uh, why can they be the now generation, meaning a praying and a worshiping generation? of witnessing and of, of making disciples of youth and children. Because another friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Tom Victor, he's on us the call with us today. He always says this, there is no junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's in us that makes us witnesses and leads us in the place of prayer and intercession. 
is the same Holy Spirit that's in these children and in these youth. So we want to declare over them today that they are the now generation. Amen. Um, when we think about uh, church history, I want to start with the evangelical church. And there's a lot of different movements where we've seen children being used by God to pray and to witness and to make disciples, <clears throat> often at the beginning of movements, in fact. But I want to look at the evangelical church. And this, you know, evangelical church, even that word itself, right, really implies this dynamic movement. Okay, all the energy, the restlessness, the idealism that that word evangelical suggests. In a large part, though, because it's been a movement of and for the rising generation. Many Christians in the English-speaking world believe that evangelical revival first began in 1734 among the young people in Jonathan Edwards Church at Northampton, Massachusetts, and then spread up and down the Connecticut River Valley in New England. But there was an earlier revival in a different river valley in Central Europe, the Oder River Valley. And this region is known as Silesia, and it runs along the Czech-Polish border. There was an uprising of children in prayer here in 1707, 1708. And I think it reminds us, again, of the important place of young people in the church, both in the past and in the present. Uh, this revival in Central Europe began when school-aged children of Protestant parents were not willing, like their elders, to be silenced and marginalized by their Catholic rulers, you might say. The children began to meet in the open fields, outdoors in groups to pray and to sing and to read scripture. And this began in the upper mountain villages of Upper Silesia and spread down across the villages, the towns, and the cities of the entire nation. At morning and at noon and late afternoon, the children of the community walked quietly two by two to a predetermined meeting place where they would sing a hymn, they would listen to a chapter of the Bible being read by one of their own, they would recite some psalms, sing hymns, and then fall on their faces in prayer. It was hourly intercession, and they would do this three times a day. And this touched off a revival that would endure for decades, <laughs> uh, literally. I want to read a, a firsthand account uh, from a book here. Kinder Baton, uh, recommend this to you, a guy named, a scholar named Eric Swinson, writes this firsthand account, a primary source here. Of course, it was written in German. It's been translated now into English. I'm just going to read this story to you. It's fantastic. It had begun in the Silesian mountains and thereafter gone forth from one place to another. By it, the children saw such an uncommon reverence and zeal that neither their parents nor anyone else are able to hold them away. Sometime after Christmas, around December 28th, Holy Innocence Day, it began spreading through Silesia, reaching five provinces in five days. The children, male and female, girls and boys, four to 14 years in age, specifically mentions that. I think that's fantastic because today God's raising out this four to 14 movement. But they were ages, it says here, four to 14 years in age with an unusual devotion for their age. 
assemble themselves in a certain place to pray together with childlike devotion daily. They come together in the morning about seven, around noon, and around four. And again, this was the winter when it first started. Goes on, it says, these poor, hard-pressed children, out of their own desire and without their being given some prescribed method, began to assemble to pray and seek the face of God. Indeed, without any direction from any adult, not only were they not given help, but were even having to act against the commands of the religious and civil authorities, and at times against their parents, who made threats and laid hindrances in their way. But the children initiated this within their villages, towns, and cities. However, when their gatherings were not tolerated, they chose to keep themselves outside the city in open fields and under the open sky. They hold orderly prayer meetings, singing, reading the Bible. Then they fall on their knees, and at some places it is reported they fall on their faces praying and repenting. <laughs> it had begun sparse, but in many places it grew to three to 4,000 children. The places have crowds of people coming to regard the unusual devotion of the tender children. The children kneel on the ground almost the whole time of the prayer meeting. They have chosen from their midst a reader for this purpose who stands in the middle, reads aloud, shares the gospel, and leads not only the songs but also the prayers, which are clearly audible from a distance. One fairly typical but more detailed description stated, ordinarily they sing seven songs and a prayer comes between each one. It's like harp and bowl. <laughs> each one, they have a psalm of repentance. They read a chapter from the Bible, so it's scripture-based prayer. And in the end, the children lift hands together upward and sing two more hymns. The bystanders cannot regard it without being moved to tears hearing the prayers. Truly, one can hear the singing nearly a quarter mile away. Oh, I love it. They have among their prayers also one, which is to ask the dear God to give their churches back to them. Again, uh, much persecution going on. No one knows how the children would have gotten such a longing without the parents' knowledge. Wow. So amazing what was happening. Other reports that I read, soon uh, adults would come be coming together and they would gather, they would form the circle around the circle of the circle children. And as the children would sing in the prayer, the adults would just weep. And this would go from town to town, several towns, as many, 300 children. And as we read the report there, some places got all the way up to three to 4,000 children and adults that would gather together. Um, amazing move of the spirit that was led by children and initiated by children. Uh, several supernatural occurrences occurred as well and were reported firsthand. Uh, there were moments when the, the letters of the children, they had some prayer books often that they would read out of. And these prayer books would light up and people would witness doves, literal doves that would fly around the children close enough even to touch. Uh, these children had no fear. At one point, the children showed no reaction when this Calvary troop, this literal Calvary troop, pretended to charge at them and they just stood there, worshiped and prayed, didn't flinch. So immersed in the presence of, of God, his tangible presence among them. Often as the adults would gather in another circle around them to watch and observe, uh, many of them, of course, would be moved to tears as they would hear the children praying. And it wasn't just their prayer, but it was their devotion to prayer. They had such intimacy with God their Father. Uh, their prayers would include asking for forgiveness. 
I read these firsthand. The, 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 the prayers that the word of God would be better known. Prayers that God would send his Holy Spirit upon the people. Uh, prayers that God would send revival. Prayers that God would show favor on them and that they might be sent out as messengers of God to the nations. <laughs> I love it. One Protestant father, I read this, was so worried about the children doing uh, this sort of in defiance of the authorities that he tried to lock his son and daughter in their bedrooms. But when he heard that they were going to climb out the window, then he relented and let them go. <laughs> I love it. I'm not quite sure why as a parent you would not want your children to go to a prayer meeting. But The magistrates uh, would come and they would issue orders to desist, but the children would stop. At Friedberg, the hangman was sent with a whip to disperse the children who were meeting in the marketplace. But when he saw them at their prayers, he couldn't do it. Uh, at Breslau, some of the Roman Catholic children actually joined the Lutheran children. Love it. So there is an expression of John 17, oneness. Right? Despite the strict orders from the magistrates for parents to keep their children at home, thousands would look on still. Evangelicals, Catholics together in Jesus. Powerful. Uh, the greatest fruit, though, that you would read about was reported the changed character of the children, where they were exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, the very character of Christ, and beginning to manifest the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry of Christ. I mean, just think about this, these, these ones that used to be wild and mischievous youngsters, right? You'd have to, like, drag them to church. Now they could not be held away from not just going to church, but going to a prayer meeting. I mean, <laughs> love it. I just get so provoked by this. Could God do that again in our day? Yes and amen. And I think he is doing it today. I want to give us a couple examples before we go to inspire us. And, I, and I'd like to encourage us to include our children, even in this 10 days of prayer, and also uh, uh, in this canopy of prayer, the global family prayer room, digital prayer room. Let's include our kids in some of these times of prayer. Amen and amen. Let me continue the story just a little bit because it gets better. So eventually this young people's revival was, you might say, immersed or baptized into the church. And Protestant, and this was a good thing, and Protestant pastors channeled it into a regional renewal movement. And the nerve center of, or the hub of the revival was a church called the Jesus Church in Teschen. It was this town deep in the south of Poland. And the Jesus Church was one of a handful of churches that the ruling Catholic dynasty at that time allowed the Protestants in the region to have, which is very unusual. They've had to raise money for it themselves and, you know, a lot of restrictions, but they were allowed to meet in public. A series of pietist pastors came in from Germany and elsewhere to oversee the church and give some eldership to it and some pastoring. But then the services began to be attracted by so many people, literally thousands more. And they, they couldn't even accommodate the numbers in the buildings. Some people would walk all night to get there. Um, the church held 5,000 at multiple balconies. Services had to begin on, you know, six on a Sunday morning, and they'd continue all day in different languages. Great crowds inside, outside the church. Pass the time in prayers and confessions, ardent hymn singing. Revival then spread to surrounding towns and villages. Teshen was central uh, to this revival in Central Europe in the 18th century. 
very similar to what Edwards Northampton was in America. But what I want you to hear it was because of the prayer meetings of these children that we saw the fruit now of great revival breaking out. And that's always the story that we hear in church history. This story gets better, though. It doesn't end there either. Now, some Protestants, right, they're, they're in these neighboring region called Moravia, these Bohemian Moravians, and they were inspired by the revival at Teshem. They came, and not only were they inspired by it, but some of the families that were part of this, and it's likely that even some of the children that were part of the children's prayer meeting actually joined together with these Moravians. And they decided, seeing that there was increasing religious and economic persecution, they decided to flee to East Saxony in a German territory under the guidance and direction of Christian David. And it was there that they found safe harbor on an estate of a wealthy aristocrat named Count Zinzendorf, who established a village for them on his property. They named this place Hernhut, which means the Lord's watch or the watch of the Lord. They were determined to watch and pray for the Lord and his return. And they also understood themselves to be under the canopy of God's watchful care, his watch and his care. And it was under this kind of prayer revival that broke out amongst these refugees. Now, this happened in the summer of 1727, okay? God first began to touch the children again, like he had done in the generations before in Silesia. In fact, there was one account of two 12-year-old girls that were up over what was called the Hootberg, this hill that overlooked God's acre, village of Herrenhut down below. And these children cried out, wept in repentance and praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this young Moravian community at Herrenhut. It was so loud that even reports of people down in the community that could actually hear them praying, and not just praying, but travailing in prayer, weeping in prayer. And it was that next morning that at a communion service, the Moravians experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's called the Moravian Pentecost. It wasn't this just these two children. There were several moments leading up to this in this summer of children that Zinzendorf was discipling that were beginning to pray and come under conviction of sin, cry out for their own peers, but also for the adults to encounter and experience God. Unbelievable. It was like what was happening back in Silesia was happening now again with the children. God was responding to the children's prayers pours his spirit out. A couple of weeks later, Zinzendorf starts a canopy of prayer 24 hours a day. Children that were a part of this prayer meeting, and this prayer meeting went on for a hundred years. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbroken prayer and praise for a hundred years. And children were part of this hourly intercession praying one hour a day with their parents. Fantastic. And it was under this canopy then that God began to mark missionaries um, and send them to the nations of the earth. 200 plus missionaries. They established over 5,000 different missionary settlements around the world. Unbelievable how God raised up this movement of prayer, of mission, 
their whole heart was that the lamb who was slain would receive the due reward for his sufferings. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. Radical devotion and mission. Uh, some of these families were so dedicated that they would actually meet in the graveyard and hold a funeral service with the kids there and send their dad off to the mission field to proclaim the gospel where it's never been preached before, knowing that their dad probably wouldn't return. I mean, what kind of wholehearted devotion to the gospel is this? Unbelievable. And again, initiated and led at the beginning by children. I think God wants to do it again in our day. What do you think? Um, it's, it's very likely that some of the children, and I don't have the full research on this yet, but I'm, I'm looking for it. Very likely that it was some of these children actually in the 1708 Silesia prayer meetings that were some of the missionaries that went to the field with Zinzendorf and the Moravian community. Fantastic. <laughs> so we can connect the dots here, right? Number one, the children's uprising in Lower Silesia in 1708, right? Number two, the revival at Teshin that followed. Number three, the renewed Moravian brethren at Heronhood in 1727. Number four, John Wesley's Aldersgate experience in 1738, right? Uh, number five, John Wesley reads the faithful narrative of the revival under Jonathan Edwards in Massachusetts and reviles, re realizes this is all one great work of God on both sides of the Atlantic. Wesley was impacted by the Moravians. Wesley comes and the, the revival in Massachusetts is impacted by the Moravians as well. It's amazing what God was doing. And of course, the story is a lot more complex than this. But the one thing you see is that young people were of crucial importance in early America, right? In Silesia and in Germany and Moravia. Um, I think about today, uh, Philip Jenkins, he's pointed out to us, right, that half the world's population is under 24. 90% of these young people live in Africa, in Asia, and Latin America. So if the church is to thrive in the 21st century, and if we're to see the gospel of the kingdom go forth to the ends of the earth, it's only going to happen as God raises up praying, singing, worshiping, witnessing, disciple-making children and youth. Guys, that's the only way that this is going to happen. And I've got good news for us today. It is happening to a degree. Um, I want to highlight just uh, one video for you. And then I'm going to put some resources in here of how God's using some different children's prayer movements today. Um, <clears throat> we decided to close this in this time here. I've got just a few minutes left. I'm going to close it with this video. But we decided back in uh, May of 2017 to gather 120 prayer leaders from 34 different nations. These are some uh, missions leaders as well. We gathered them together, but we asked children to pray for this gathering in Herrenhut, Germany. So we all came together in Herrenhut, May of 2017. But over in a place in Chennai, India, there's a group called the Royal Kids. And it's a children's house of prayer. It's a movement that started in India with these Royal Kids in 1991. And these were children that society had deemed as untouchable. Uh, some of them were children of temple prostitutes. 
and a guy named Father Anton Cruz brought them together into his own home and then built an orphanage and loved on these children, fed them, educated them, still doing this till today, and then also trained them to be a house of prayer. Not only a house of prayer, but also to go into other villages and share their testimonies, to pray for the sick, to plant churches and make disciples. Um, incredible how God has used this movement. But we asked these children, okay, <clears throat> to pray for this gathering. And I believe it launched something. What I'd like to see is kind of happening, I think, overall, as God is calling us back to a Moravian vision. Number one, to the motivation that Jesus is worthy of night and day prayer-saturated worship. And he's worthy of the nation's as his inheritance. So the prayer movement is becoming more missional and the missions movement is becoming more prayer devoted. And at the center of this, God using children and bringing the generations together to lead us in this modern day expression of maybe what we might call a Moravian movement today, a prayer revival and of mission. Amen and amen. Uh, Thousands of children today, 10,000 plus, all over the world, starting Children's House of Prayers. It started with these royal kids. I just want you to listen to them pray and to them worship as they were praying for this gathering that was mostly adults. We had some children with us, but I want you to catch a little bit of their heart. And we'll close with this, and then I'll pray for us. Amen and amen.
Father, I thank you for children. We honor them, God, today. As fathers and mothers, we turn our hearts to them today. And we ask, Father, that you would set them in the house of prayer. Lord, as we're praying and singing and worshiping, lovers of you, oh God, I pray that we would see children house of prayers raised up all over the earth. But not only praying, God, I pray that you would hurl them forth to the nations. Lord of the harvest, to witness, to share the gospel, to plant churches. Lord, I pray that you'd send forth children to the nations, that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to every nation, and then the end would come. All for your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.